Amen. Good morning. Grace and peace to you for a blessed Sunday. It is uh, the day of the Lord, and some of us have gathered in Hamill Hall, as we are accustomed to do, to lead you in a time of worship. We do wish you were here with us, but are glad to have you joining us from there, wherever you are, as we connect ourselves to each other and to God, who, by the Holy Spirit, is everywhere. Know that even physical distance cannot keep us apart as we join to give praise and thanks to the one who speaks peace into our souls. We join with you in spirit today to worship God rightly in this moment and in all the other ways that have been made available throughout the week. I hope that you will participate and that you will find time to worship at home, on the website, or through Realm. Even though our Walk in the Wilderness sermon series has gotten knocked off track, we are still in Lent. It is that season where we take a walk out in the wilderness with Jesus for a season of, of preparation. It's where we come face to face with our own mortality and consider our lives in light of the gospel And recognize our need for a Savior. Our need for repentance and reconciliation with the one who gives us life. This may very well be the Lent we remember for the rest of our lives when we truly were in a desert place. Isolated from family and friends and and co-workers and out of our regular routines. Some of you know, because I've asked you to study along with me, that I was preparing to preach from Exodus chapter 16 as part of this series. It's the story of God raining down bread from heaven, manna for the Israelites in the wilderness. It's a great story of deliverance from captivity into freedom. A story of God's providence for his people, providing what they need in a time of hunger. And then it is a call to obedience in response. It's a message that I could have easily preached this week in our current circumstances because the key verse says, go out each day and gather enough for that day only. Not too much, not too little. And given our circumstances, that'll preach. And I was prepared to bring you that message, but an interesting thing happened this week. There was once a pastor here whom I was very close to years ago who eventually became my mentor and spiritual guide as I discerned my call to pastoral ministry and It was evident by his life that he lived in this relationship with the Lord that allowed him to respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit. It was one of the things that I I came to admire and appreciate about his pastoral ministry was his willingness to, to pivot and in a moment go where the Spirit was leading. On several occasions, I witnessed him step up to preach a message that he had prepared and say something like, 
okay, Lord, I hear you. And instead, preach a message by the Spirit and through the Spirit that the people needed to hear in that particular moment. And it made such an impression on me that I still remember it 20 years later to follow the Spirit and speak into a particular need of the faith community exactly at the right time. Well, this past Monday, my small group met online to discuss chapter 3 of the Pastor Adam Hamilton's book that we're using for our church-wide Lenten study, and I hope that you are continuing to study um, as we move through the season. The chapter was about serving others, and in the context of that conversation with our group, the discussion led to responding to that movement of the Spirit in a way that could be interpreted as an interruption. We're going along with our our plan, our tasks, uh, our business, getting things done, when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit nudges us to stop and do something different, maybe just for a moment, but maybe also for a lifetime. And then on Tuesday, while I was doing my uh, personal time of study, the text for today practically jumped off the page. And as much as I tried to ignore it, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me alone. I shared what I was thinking with some of the staff, and I felt compelled to bring it to you for today, for your consideration The passage is found in John's Gospel, chapter 4, and you may recognize it as a conversation between Jesus and a woman of Samaria at the well. Uh, For the sake of time, I won't read the entire text, but I encourage you to read it uh, on your own, but I will read only a few verses beginning with verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship What we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. At this point in John's narrative, Jesus is on the move. He's traveling from Jerusalem north back up to Galilee. And John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. But not necessarily in a directional sense. There are several routes that would easily avoid Samaria if a traveler was so inclined. 
John is speaking figuratively. Jesus had to go there for there was this important encounter that needed to happen. There was this conversation that had to happen where Jesus speaks of living water and proceeds through a question of the proper location for worship and ends this conversation by revealing himself as the Messiah. This is what I've really come to appreciate about John's writing. In contrast to the other Gospels, John invites his reader or the hearer into an elevated understanding of who Jesus is, honoring the mystery of the Jesus story and exposing often the disconnect between Jesus and his hearer, unable to fully comprehend what he's saying. This encounter that begins simply with a request for a drink, give me a drink, Jesus says to the woman, quickly escalates into something altogether different. At one point, Jesus says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. To which she replied, Sir, you have no bucket. I love that. Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. A complete miss of Jesus' inference. How will you get this living water? She is concerned. And this exchange reminds us of uh, the story of Jesus and Nicodemus where, where he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, is a man able to return to his mother's womb to be born again? From his first verse, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. We know that John's narrative will be different No birth story, no family lineage, no baptism or temptation of Jesus. Just bam, the light has come into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. And off the story goes. John brings us great phrases like that and and metaphors like Jesus' I am statements, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door. In John's Jesus leaves no room for mystery. Never saying exactly, I'm sorry, in John, Jesus leaves room for mystery. Never saying exactly what he means. Like the statement, I have other sheep, not of this fold. We see in John's writing a Jesus who is willing to speak of the things of God. Heavenly things, eternal things, in strange and unusual ways, wherever he goes. Deep, provocative, challenging, confusing, paradoxical ideas that keep the hearer off balance. John's Jesus is more mystery than certainty, more abstract than concrete, and more spiritual than physical. Just prior to our text for today in chapter 3, Jesus says, The one who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks of earthly things. 
the one who comes from heaven, is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and what he has heard. Jesus is more about heavenly than earthly things. He wants to speak about life in heavenly terms, and and he finds it difficult to get people to engage on this level. Think about it for yourself. How much time and attention did you give to material things of this world? Food, water, even toilet tissue this week? Compared to the spiritual, worship, study, prayer, holy conversation. We are conditioned by culture to give greater consideration to the temporal things while Jesus invites us to consider eternity. Our world demands that we pay attention to the crisis of the day while Jesus takes the long view. One theologian whose book I'm reading for Lent, says that it's worth remembering that Jesus invites others to recognize him and their own deepest needs to discover the truth about themselves and God. When the Samaritan woman concluded that Jesus was a prophet, she inquired to help settle an age-old question highly debated by her people and the Jews. Where is the proper place to worship, she was asking. Let me tell you, this debate is not exclusive to Jews and Samaritans. In case you weren't here when we began to worship in this space, let me just say, people have some pretty strong opinions about where to worship. Some will say it's just not right to worship in a gym or a school cafeteria or a coffee shop or, God forbid, a brewery or any other non-steepled stained glass space like wherever you are right now. But Jesus answered the question of where with how. Worship of God cannot be limited to a space, to any space. He says, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Where is a question that is limited by the physical world? The how in spirit and in truth is without limits. It refuses to be bound up by a particular day or a particular time or a particular building or a particular location. True worship can happen at any moment in any place because true worship, worship in spirit and truth, is a posture. It's an attitude. Worship is the natural response of the created to the creator. We were created for it. It is simply pausing 
and reconnecting to God, to the one who gives us life and and an expression of gratitude for it. Worship is an act of faith. We worship what we know. We cannot worship that which we don't at least first believe. When we give God thanks and praise, it is an acknowledgement that God exists and that God is who we know Him to be. Worship is a step into the flow of what is already going on in the heavenly realm. We see it expressed in the Trinity. There's this constant flow of love being poured out of and into each of the three persons of the Trinity. And we are invited into it when we turn our hearts, our spirit toward God. We offer and receive love. Worship is the the wellspring of life that Jesus speaks of in this passage It has the power to speak peace into the chaos of this world. It can elevate us above earthly things to the heavenly realm where at least for a moment we catch a glimpse of eternity. Worship opens the door to peace. The current state of affairs is teaching us about the limits of the physical world. Material things can only go so far in meeting our needs. Material things can only meet our material needs. They're limited by time and space. We can store up all the material goods we can get our hands on, but they will not satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. We are, after all, spiritual creatures made in the image and likeness of God, filled with divine spirit. We are most whole, most healthy, most alive, and most at peace when we are connected to the one who created us. And that's what worship is. And when we pause to give thanks in that moment, we connect our spirit to the one who can speak peace to our souls. So whether whether here or there or anywhere, we place ourselves under the true word of God for the purposes of God. And our lives are interrupted for good. Praise be to God. Let us pray. God, from your word that speaks truth into the very heart of our souls, we celebrate and give you thanks this day, the day that you set aside for us to pause to engage in worship, to connect ourselves to each other and to you. God, we thank you 
for this time and for your spirit that is wherever we find ourselves in this moment. Bless us. Bless those who are watching now and will watch in the days ahead. God, speak truth into our lives that we may turn our hearts to you and give praise to you, the one who has created us. In the name of the one who has redeemed us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, In part of our study of the book, The Walk, in one of the chapters, Pastor Adam Hamilton invited the participants to remember to pause and pray five times a day using the fingers on their left hand, offering a prayer of gratitude. I would expand on that a bit and encourage you to pray that prayer, the doxology, five times a day to pause and simply praise God from all who, whom blessings flow. Go in peace and be well and seek God in these uncertain times. Amen.